Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend Al Bat. Hey Al, the snow has melted. There's a little snow coming back. What are the birds up to these days? They're uh, just trying to get by, I guess, um, like uh, like everybody. Uh, oh, you know, after uh, after Thanksgiving, maybe that's what we're all just trying to do. I just walk to. Oh, I walk a lot, and I, everywhere I go, I walk. My wife says I'll be there, and then I'm just gone because I I go walking. I don't. I, you know, I, I walk in malls, I walk on trails, I walk in uh, places where people are supposed to walk, uh, gyms and things. I just, I love walking, and it's um, a great joy. So I get to wear off some of that turkey. We had, uh, we're most fortunate in that we had three um, Thanksgiving things for the family, so three separate meals. And I, boy, I just I I whisper this if I'm around the cooks, but the best turkey I had was what we called a turkey roll. Going up, growing up, it was a, a turkey loaf. I think some people call it. Was that the oh one you could goodness. get in a little tin foil kind of a loaf pan, and then you stick it in the oven for so long? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, and for easy carving, you know, if yes. you are the carving person in your family. Oh my gosh. Have people sign a petition to do that turkey <laughs> loaf because man, you can you can carve that. You can be a carving wizard, and you don't need a Ginsu knife to do it. It's just amazing. But I, I don't remember it being that good. I guess it's been a long time since I've had it. But man, was it good! It was it was the best turkey I had. And again, oh, if one of those cooks are listening for the other ones, they are gonna. I'll be in trouble, but it it was so good. And then I, I was out tap dancing on the ice because, like I say, I'm a walker, so I got to be out walking around no matter what the weather conditions, if it's icy or not icy. And I was eating an apple, and I've mentioned a lot. I love Honeycrisp. I'm just so pleased that late season apples keep the longest. And as I my gnawing neared its conclusion, I got the to the core, so to speak. I noticed the seeds of the apple, and fall is a season of seeds. Everything is put out seeds out there, but now Jack Frost has come and put much of the world to sleep. And we think about seasonal shifts, but they're not automatic. Before the weather becomes too severe, each year I notice something called autumnal recrudescence. Mm. And what that means is, the, the light le- levels around spring equinox are similar to those at the vernal equinox. So many animals, I notice that particularly in birds, have hormone levels that vary a bit with the amount of light during the day. And fall can create enough confusion to prompt singing. Or where I've noticed is an old chicken guy, roosters crowing. All of a sudden you get this certain type of light and it just, uh, they start crowing again. And I I wonder if the blooming dandelion I saw not long ago is an example of a tumnal recrudescence. The last flower I see blooming every year is a dandelion without fail. It's the last flower I see in my yard blooming. And I saw one of your buddies, a vole, scurried <laughs> across my path as I walked. And voles will breed throughout the year. I read something that said they would have 17 litters a year. Well, I'm Whoa. 17. I don't, I don't know how that'd be possible. They will breed throughout the year, but they probably commonly have one or five 
to five litters per year. So they do their breeding isn't common in spring and summer. So I'm thinking the other one would have to have been done in a lab. Uh, they have these one to five litters. They'll have one to 11 babies, but they probably average three to six. And the reason I, boy, 17 litters, because their gestation period is about 21 days. And then the young are weaned at 21 days. Uh, females mature in 35 to 40 days. Uh, their lifespans are short, ranging from two to maybe 16 months. But in one study I read, and I forget the college uh, that was affiliated with it, but they said there was an 88% mortality during the first month of life for a vole. What can I do to speed that up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'd get a little vole doll and stick pins in it, I think, yeah. would be the, the best thing to do. Uh, Jamie Tennyson of Clark's Grove, she has a Christmas tree farm there, and because of that, she's always seeing wonderful critters in those Christmas trees. This year it was a long-eared owl, so a really neat thing to see, a long-eared owl. Uh, Neil Bat Hartland, who is uh, going to live where I used to live, so we uh, have, besides being related, now we'll have that connection too. He saw a pileated woodpecker. And he saw two wild turkeys chasing a cat. It's just not easy being a cat outdoors. Now, why do they uh, chase Sharon, them? They don't They don't eat them, so why would a turkey chase them? Just to annoy them? Oh, I have no doubt a cat would take a young, a very oh, small pole. But the turkeys turkey, were just yeah. defending their territory then, basically. Yeah, and I just don't think, you know, most everything out there, they don't like cats. It's just cats <laughs> are one thing that they just don't like. I think cats like well, cats don't even always like cats, but turkeys do not like them. And I'm assuming part of that is because uh, they would maybe take a, a poult or maybe an egg. So it's just uh, they can tell that's a predator of some kind. And wild turkeys can be pretty feisty. So he said two of them, two hens were chasing the cat around. He didn't know whose cat it was, but he said they were giving the cat a rough time. And they were there was a little bit of unpicked corn there, and they were kind of playing the cat would get on one side and try to hide behind <laughs> the corn, and the turkeys would split up, and sooner or later they'd find the cat, and away they go chasing it again. Uh, Sharon Fishstrom said, I've had uh, flickers at my bird feeders. It's the first time ever. They are lovely. Sid Stivlin said, today at the opulent Stivlin Ranch and Gourmet Bird Buffet, bird eruption, my wife thinks the birds are celebrating Thanksgiving. The star of the show was finally our own personal red-breasted nuthatch after we finally put some peanuts, duh. Joining in the feast, feeding frenzy of a couple dozen pine siskins, also two mallards eating finch food on the patio. There is no open water on the pond, so these guys must have an inside track. Still hanging around and joining in, a fox sparrow, two white-throated sparrows, the regulars, chickadees, two white-breasted nuthatches, three pairs of cardinals, a couple of blue jays, a couple of dozen goldfinches, a few house finches, a house sparrow, lots of juncos, a dozen robins. Between the ranch and my neighbor's crabapple tree, two morning doves, a downy woodpecker, and three unwelcome starlings. But they add to the list, so they are okay today. Uh, Benny Lucas of Mason City said the varied thrush is still being seen at the Lime Creek Nature Center. 
The bird is very skittish, though, so keep a good distance away. Jim Rowe is also at Mason City, said the buried thrush is still at the feeders at the Lime Creek Nature Center. Rodney Hatley of Owatonna said, Al, I intend this <clears throat> I intend this to excuse me, Rodney, it's my I intend this to enter the realm of bird biology here. Since birds do crossbreed, I wonder if it's possible for a crow and a seagull to do so. Hmm. Rodney, about ten percent of the known bird species have mated with another species. So if we figured 10,000, around 10,000 species, about 10% of those will mate with another species. So hybridization, as you might expect, most commonly occurs between closely related species. But occasionally it happens between birds of different genera that have evolved separately. Animals have to be in the same family to hybridize. And a genus is a taxonomic classification that's just above species, and then family is the level above a genus. So crows and gulls, uh, they wouldn't be sharing pride in the same egg. They wouldn't be showing that egg as a grandchild or child, so it, it won't happen unless it happened in a laboratory. A Mary Bushlock of New Richland that there's a hawk comes and sits on her feeder. And it would be an occipiter, uh, likely a cooper's hawk, but could be a sharp shin. Uh, Gunner Berg of Albert Lee said, my father used to own farmland to the south and west of Geneva. When the beavers returned locally 50-some years ago, they dammed the Geneva Creek upstream where it is more of a ditch. The old man first realized it when it flooded his cornfield and the muskrats were making their lodges with his corn stalks. Oh, I bet he was a happy camper. Mm -hmm. uh, Katie Byerly, another one from Mason City, said the varied thrush is still at the feeders at the Lime Creek Nature Center. Bird can be seen from the observation windows if you don't appreciate the cool weather. Linda Bat, and I, this is the first time I've ever had two bat reports. <laughs> She lives in Albert Lee, and she said uh, on the way home from church in beautiful Manchester population, I think Manchester is at 57 people there, probably less now with the cold weather. So there's got to be somebody there that's in Arizona or Texas. But Glenda said the, the bald eagle was eating that roadkill as she came out of church. Joan uh, said two bluebirds at her heated bird bath. Reed Nelson that there's a red fox digging in his yard, and he's wondering what in the world is it up to. You know, the first thing you think of again would be of Karen's friends. He might be trying to get a vole in there. But before the ground freezes too securely, they do dig for grubs. And I talked to a foxologist, if that's the right word, a guy who studies foxes, and he said they even like earthworms. It's hmm. one of their favorite things. So grubs and earthworms. And the other thing that could be happening is they do bury food. So it could be that the fox has something and he finds your yard a secure place to bury something and come and eat it later. So he could have been burying something or digging up something that he'd buried prior. Uh, Carolyn Fisher is the last report we got from Mason City. And uh, she is not reporting anything about a buried thrush. She said, I hadn't had any pine siskins for a while, just checked my feeders and counted six of them. 
Again, pine siskins look like goldfinches that are wearing striped pajamas. They're just uh, really cool little birds, and it's fun to see them. Barb Thompson of New Richland asked if large muskrat houses foretell a harsh winter. Barb, I heard that all the time growing up. They said if the muskrat houses are tall, it's going to be a bad, bad winter. And muskrat houses are these dome-shaped mounds of piled marsh plants that cover holes in the ice. So you drive by a little swampy area, you can see them, a marshy area. Uh, Muskrat mounds can be confused with beaver lodges, but they're not made of woody material like the beaver lodges. And I think membership to a muskrat mound is much cheaper. Do do beavers and and muskrats coexist? I mean, do they share space or are they completely non-interacting? You know, with the cameras they can put on animals now, they have seen cases where muskrats, where they run out of food around their lot, with their, their mounds, they have moved in with Ooh. the beavers, just moved in there. And as long as there's enough food and everything and they're not eating a lot of the beavers' stored food, they probably get along pretty well. But sooner or later, they said in all cases that they'd seen, the beavers just get sick of them because I suppose they think it's, a relative of some kind to their <laughs> their spouse, maybe their mate. And then sooner or later, they boot the muskrats out. So they kind of get along and they kind of don't. Winter's an odd season because it'll make allies or friends out of those that didn't get along the rest of the year. And then it'll make enemies out of others that get along pretty fine. So they will, on occasion, share a beaver lodge. But sooner or later, the beaver says, you know, this is our place. So I take it the wood ones the beavers making make are, are better quality, why the beavers aren't moving into the muskrat lodges then? That's right, and the muskrat lodges are much smaller. Beavers are much larger oh, animals, okay. so it's, it's like the big bad wolf. If he came <laughs> along, he could blow the muskrat one down real easy, but he'd have to huff and puff a little bit more to get that beaver lodge down because it's they build it with his sticks and then they pack it with mud so it's kind of a cross between a, a stick and a brick house again folklore says muskrat houses are built big before a bad winter and oh folks i enjoy folklore now no, nay i love folklore i love hearing it i follow up on stuff and i i looked at every book and i looked online and i was unable to find any scientific credibility in this one As we know, many such beliefs are purely anecdotal, and they don't hold up to any empirical testing. If anybody has anything about muskrat houses, and that they do indeed uh, lead to big houses, lead to bad winter, I would love to hear from you, because I just couldn't find anything. And why are muskrat houses so big this year? Because I I looked, I was out driving around, and I looked, I looked at all these, and maybe the muskrats are eager beavers this year. Maybe they're just, um, they want to have a beaver lodge. Uh, Me, I look at the size or color of ice fishing shacks on, uh, on lakes. Plus the thickness of the clothes of the fishermen (laughs) who inhabit those shacks. And I look for the size of their snow shovels, and that indicates winter severity to me. Um, Karen, you have probably got this, and I bet a lot of listeners have. You get this thing that says it's got a picture of a possum, and it says, you know, be nice to me, or because I eat ticks, and it goes on saying that uh, by eating ticks, it's preventing Lyme disease and mm-hmm. doing all these other things. 
Possums do eat ticks. According to the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies, possums groom themselves fastidiously, and they will eat any trespassing ticks they find. I don't know if they go out of their way to find ticks to eat them, but if they find a tick on their body, they eat it. Does it help uh, Lyme disease? You know, it couldn't hurt it, I guess, because they're eliminating some ticks. I don't know. It'd be real hard to put any numbers on that and saying they're eating this this many ticks, and because of that, it's going to drop Lyme this percentage. It, again, it certainly can't hurt, and I'm sure in some occasion it's, it's probably we just can't predict uh, those kind of things that haven't happened. So what it's you're saying, so it's not a major part of their diet then? It's just a kind of a happenstance. If they have them on them, they eat them, but they don't search for them, do they? No, and who hasn't eaten a tick that's oh. on them at one time oh, or another? You know, you're out yeah. there and you're hungry and you, you find the tick and you get a little ketchup maybe, uh. one of those little packets, and you say, what the heck? Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine eating ticks. I've spent... Um, a good share of my life in the company of ticks, and uh, I there's a lot of things I'd wanted to do to them, but eating was never one that came to mind. They're es- just uh, especially those uh, big ones that are engorged. Those are just so gross. I, ugh. And they'd get in like dog or cow ears. Yes, or cats even. Place they loved them. Yep, and then you'd have to pull them out, and I always felt so bad. And the ticks would be so big. I hope nobody's eating now. Yeah. these ticks would be so big, their feet. They couldn't touch the ground. (laughs) So you could put them on the ground, they couldn't move because they were too fat. And we've all known somebody like that at Thanksgiving, that that's happened to maybe once a year. And maybe that's all that happens to these ticks. But uh, they're amazing creatures, but um, we just, uh, I hope we're able to come up with perhaps some sort of uh, immunization that we could get that will will fight Lyme disease. I've had a lot of friends get it, and it's a... It's, uh, as my aunt would say, that's nasty business, and uh, it is. I got a nice uh, email just now, it looks like from Amy. Do wild turkey hens ever have beards? Um, yes, but it's 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 uncommon. Is it only uh, during mu- mustache and beard November, maybe? That's when they grow them, huh? <laughs> it is. That might be it. Uh, Toms and Jakes, Jakes are young males. They've uh, nearly corralled that market, so the beard goes to them. And the beard is a cluster of long follicles in the center of the chest that can be, oh, I've heard up to 12 inches long on some of the toms. Maybe some have even seen or found longer, but 12 inches I've heard. Another interesting thing about hens as compared to gobblers or toms, the droppings that hens leave are spiral-shaped, but the gobblers typically leave an elongated J-shaped dropping. Hmm. So there's a, give somebody something to do today. You can get <laughs> out there and check droppings and just see if you have more hens or gobblers around. Uh, the Native Americans used turkey spurs for arrow points. They probably couldn't make maybe the whole point, but they would use it for some of their arrow points and for other uh, sharp utensils. So turkeys have been uh, an important part of, uh, of man f- forever, I guess. So it's, it's nice to see them out there, but uh, be careful when you're driving. It's not just deer you have to look out for. Uh, turkeys are very large, and uh, we just we don't want to lose anybody uh, by hitting one of these guys. So 
it's a, a great day, as every day is. Um, I always tell everybody, I tell kids when I talk to them about getting out to see nature, I tell them, don't take my word for it. Get out there and see for yourself. And I've been involved with some classes where each of the kids is given a camera, and they go outside and take a picture of uh, something in nature. They have so much time to get out, and they can't leave a certain area. But just take a picture of something they find in that uh, schoolyard or whatever it is, and they come back in. And, of course, with digital, we can put them up so you can see them right away. Some of the pictures those kids take with those cheap little cameras, they're just incredible. Uh, and, of course, they see everything that moves because kids have predators' eyes, so they see all this movement. But wonderful pictures of ants and spiders. And, um, of course, if you have a, a walking stick or any insect like that that us grown-ups just walk right by and don't see those kids see it. So every day when I go outside, I try to look at the world uh, through kids' eyes. Uh, mine aren't as good as theirs, but I try to look at it. And I try to look at it as, as my dog would. Um, dogs got to investigate everything. They, Oh my gosh, what is that? I try to keep a longer attention span, perhaps, than they sometimes have. But it just, uh, I think that's part of the reason why we love having dogs, because they just, they drag us to interesting places and make us look at stuff and say, what is this? Well, part of the difference, Al, is that you're over six feet tall and, you know, kids and dogs are closer to the ground. So a lot of times they will notice things that we simply don't anymore. And I think that's a big piece of, of kids and nature. They're down on the ground looking at the ants and the worms and our head's way up here. And sometimes I think we forget about that per- perspective because we're grown-ups. I noticed that today I went through a, uh, oh, I bought a couple things at a grocery store. My wife gave me a short list, and I always buy a couple more things than she puts on the list there because I don't want to have to go back in for a while. But I go through, and I, I used a credit card, and I slid it through, and then it pops up on that screen, but I have to bend way down mm-hmm. to see that screen because I can't turn it so it looks up at me. And it's made for, like, normal people size. <laughs> so I have to bend over to see what I'm supposed to do next because there's always some little thing you have to hit with that pen to say yes or no or I don't know or something. So, yeah, it's, kids would have no problem there. They'd see that. I appreciate everybody uh, listening uh, this time of year when we're thankful. I'm thankful for, uh, you know, I'm thankful for everything, I guess, uh, rather than try to list things. I'm just thankful for everything, and I appreciate all the wonderful listeners and your calls and your emails and just all the the good that you present each and every day. And Karen, same to you. I, I hope you all come to the cafe. Where the food chain is missing a few links, the special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, well, hardly any of it. Back, uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. And the big rule in my life during that time was don't throw rocks. That's the age I was. Mom said, don't throw rocks because you always had friends or cousins or somebody coming out. And as boys... That's the first thing we wanted to do, was go somewhere and throw rocks. That's just the way it was. And Mom, she'd say, don't throw rocks. And it was during a time where every school nurse was an in-network provider. 
Well, one day family friends from the big city with a population nearing 20,000 people stopped by our farm. And we joined the visitors in looking at a cow. It doesn't take much to amuse some folks. (laughs) We just all stood there, looked at this cow. And the cow, being a ruminant, chewed its cud. And one of our guests, after a while, just figured somebody ought to say something, said, it looks like it's chewing gum. It looked like a cow to me. I remember, folks, uh, thanks for, for listening. And remember, Heartland as well, we're driving past. So thanks for uh, thanks for listening to me. It's been uh, great uh, being in your company. Karen, I hope you have your very best day ever. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, Al. We will chat with you again next week. And until then, happy bird watching. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye, Al. Bye-bye.